the world's last Tasmanian tiger died in Hobart Zoo in 1936, leaving us with little more than an eerie image of a lone beast pacing around its cage. Hunted and hounded to extinction, the loss of the thylacine is a poignant reminder of our capacity for hubris and destruction. But 70 years before the death of that last known Tasmanian tiger, the Australian Museum received a small but extraordinarily special donation. Hello, I'm Charles Woolley. And I'm Kim McKay, Director and CEO of the Australian Museum. We're the nation's first museum and we house the treasures of our nation and the region. We're going to discover some of those today in the newly restored Westpac Long Gallery. So join us in exploring the iconic, astounding and curious objects that have helped shape Australia and the world as we uncover the hidden stories of 200 treasures of the Australian Museum. The Tasmanian tiger pup, one of the most valuable items in our collection, also known, of course, as the thylacine pup. It's in a jar. Uh, it's quite large. It's obviously been born and it's taken from the pouch, but it's still naked and has the appearance of a fetus, although it was very small when it was born, wasn't it? That's right. And this particular specimen was sent to the Australian Museum and you can quite clearly see the stripes on its back was sent here in 1866, probably I think as a trade uh, with the Tasmanian institution. And of course that was 70 years before the last known thylacine was killed, well died in Hobart Zoo of course. But even by that time they were willfully and wantonly shooting them and sometimes even rewarded with bounties because they mistakenly thought that the creature killed sheep. Exactly. It's, it's a really sad story of human development coming in and really ensuring a species went extinct well, by stealth. The interesting thing about the devil is, isn't it, because like all pouched animals, like all marsupials, it's only an inch or so in size when it is born and it makes a perilous journey from the birth canal into the pouch. And presumably many don't make it, but then of course many did. Too. Many did and, and suckled on the mother and, and of course this particular pup is of such scientific interest because a number of years ago, this museum under Mike Archer's direction tried to extract the DNA of the Tasmanian tiger to see if the species could be rebooted. This was back about the time of, uh, of the Spielberg movie Jurassic Park. That's wasn't right. It? But of course, the, the technology and science wasn't quite up to that at the time. The it idea was, before was there. Its time. The idea was there, but now in our scientists at the museum don't like that idea. They don't like it because they think we should be putting our energies and efforts in science into conserving our existing species, not trying to bring extinct species back to life. I mean, they are such extraordinary creatures and because film footage existed of them at the Hobart mm. Zoo, so we see what they look like and, and they were very proud looking creatures. We've got a number of skins of the Tasmanian tiger in our collection here as well. And we know that the tiger was originally on the mainland too. Do you know I interviewed the man who shot the last Tasmanian tiger? No. In about 1929, 
a Yorkshireman called Wilf Batty, who'd come out as a young, a young man, a teenager, about 19, early 1900s, and had gone back with the AIF to fight in World War I in Flanders, then returned to the northwest of Tasmania, where he set up a farm in a lovely place called Morbana. And he had a tiger predating on his chickens. Oh. And he told me the story in his wonderful Yorkshire cadences. He said, I heard tiger snooking up round barn. So I took shotgun and I snooked up round back of barn and there he was in chook run and I gave him both barrels. And with, those, with that action, he, Wilf Batty blasted his way into history as a man who shot the last Tasmanian tiger. And then the, la the last one that we know of died shortly after that in captivity. But he shot the last one in the wild. He was totally unashamed too. I think I want to cry. I have the footage somewhere. I must get it for you. You must, because this species says so much about what we've done wrong in Australia. Yes, and yet we wrongly accused it. Well, OK, it went for chickens. Everything goes for chickens, but it wasn't killing sheep. Indeed. You know we've got something else quite extraordinary in this case, Charlie. The Lord Howe Island phasmid. Ah, they're very creepy-looking insects. They are, in fact. They're often referred to as a type of lobster. They're so large. They're about the length of a human hand. Yeah. And it looks more like a lobster or some kind of weird stick insect. Yeah, Actually, and they are, they are a stick or a, insect, Or a course. marin, one of those little freshwater tiny Marins, lobsters yeah. that you can eat. Interestingly, this is a species only found on Lord Howe Island. Lord Howe Island is 700 kilometres northeast of Sydney, sitting out in the Tasman Sea. And because it forms part of that Lord Howe Island rise going up into the Pacific Ocean, a lot of its flora and fauna is completely unique in these phasmids. It, like, like, the, like the Galapagos, really. It's a, a Darwinian laboratory, isn't it? It is exactly that. That's a great way of describing it. There are things there you'll find nowhere else and things that have no fear. If you sit by a, uh, by a rock pool in, in, on Lord Howe Island, as opposed to anywhere else where everything rushes away, things, things come up and have a look at you. As part of our 190th anniversary, we mounted an expedition to Lord Howe Island. 20 of our scientists, all different disciplines, went up there to study what was happening to the local fauna. And part of the expedition involved climbing Ball's Pyramid, which is a very, very difficult climb, sitting off Lord Howe Island, about 17 kilometres away. It's a volcanic spire sticking out of the ocean, but there they found the phasmid. So we had a team of citizen scientist climbers who went up there and at night, in little bits, tufts of grass, they found these phasmids. Now, we're working collaboratively with the Melbourne Zoo to try and breed phasmids so that they can be reinstated to Lord Howe Island. They were once abundant there, but of course, with the arrival of the SS Macambo, that ship where the rats got off, and of course the rats loved a bit of phasmid for dinner. So there is a new rat eradication program about to they take place. They predated on all kinds of unique creatures, didn't they? The they pigeons. Did. Uh, they um, really destroyed a lot of that original fauna on Lord Howe and many other islands. This is, of course, is an island problem, is it? Yeah. And, of course, in Macquarie Island, we had the problem with rabbits. But they have got rid of the rabbits. Do you think they'll get rid of the rats? We do. I think the team involved from National Parks that's working on it have done extraordinary research. 
Uh, they've worked very closely with scientists in New Zealand as well who've worked on rat eradication programs. And we're really hopeful that it's successful. We'll be going back as the second part of our scientific study to ascertain the impact of the rat eradication on the local wildlife. So this recent expedition was to draw a line in the sand and to say, this is what we've found, this is what's here, and then do a comparison later on. Is there any point in putting those creepy phasmids back until you know you've got rid of the rats? They, the plan is to put them back once the rats are gone so that we can try and restore this particular species. It still exists, as we've said. We found them on Ball's Pyramid in this very remote part of uh, the Tasman Sea, but I think they do belong back on the island, and so it's our hope we can reintroduce them there. And, you know, Lord Howe is a World Heritage-listed mm. island, and this museum has been going to Lord Howe since the 1860s, and we did all the work to uh, ensure that Lord Howe received its World Heritage status. So it's an island very dear to our hearts here at the museum. And, uh, it's one of my favourite islands in the world and hardly an onerous duty for you as head of the museum to have to go there on a regular basis. That's right. Well, I didn't go up on the expedition yet, but I'm, in the future I Let's hope to it get soon. there. It, it just is marvellous. From 18 million treasures in the Australian Museum, we've selected just 200 for you to consider. But even exploring this distillation is going to take us on a long and exciting adventure. I hope you will join Australian Museum Director Kim Mackay and myself as we continue our extraordinary odyssey through the collections of the Australian Museum. And of course, you can see it for yourself in the Westpac Long Gallery at the Australian Museum in Sydney. I'm Charles Woolley. And I'm Kim Mackay. We'll see you next time.